Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is a short look, a light look at church architecture. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up those knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and it is my honor to serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Now, you're calling this a light one because we're not actually getting into architectural terms and cathedrals and that kind of stuff. Someday, I hope to have a special guest and go that route, but this is not it. Exactly. And I know that there is so much about church architecture that is amazing and brilliant, and it's so far above my pay grade, it's not even funny. So I'm not even going to pretend to be able to offer that information. I can tell you some really, really basic stuff, and that's, that's what we're going to cover what we're today. we're going for. So let's just start with the, when you're walking into a Lutheran church, what do you expect to see? It's going to differ by area, by region, and by when the church was built. Okay. In... East Coast churches that are older, you might find something completely different than, say, a church that built their building in the last 25 years. Okay. In the same way that architecture has changed for homes and for houses in the last several decades, it's always changed for churches throughout the centuries as well. Okay. So keep that in mind as you think about what it looks like. On the East Coast, I can remember the churches that I attended, there were Lots of stairs that you had to go up and down in order to get to the different areas. Not ADA compliant at all. Even remotely. Mm -hmm. There may have been a main landing that you went to, and then downstairs was the basement, and upstairs was the sanctuary. That kind of a feel is what I remember from some of those East Coast churches. And, of course, brick and stone and those different pieces. Okay. Now, the West Coast churches that I have served, many of them have been all on one level. Okay. And very ADA compliant, but they're newer buildings. That they're makes buildings sense. that were built maybe in the 80s, 90s, or even earlier from there. And so you get these big kind of ranch style churches where you walk into a central narthex area. Narthex is a fancy church term, architecture term for the gathering area, the lobby, so to speak, okay. of a church. And you walk into that room, and it's on level with the parking lot. You don't have <laughs> Which to, is important. Right? You're not going up or down stairs from your parking lot. It's level with the parking lot and opens up to a big room. It may or may not be the fellowship hall, which okay. is where people gather for fellowship opportunities like dinners and potlucks and things like that. But big open gathering space, and then you're going to figure by the signage which way to go from there. Okay. So you're going to walk into some sort of lobby area. I'm guessing at this point you can get a bulletin, you can hang a coat, do that kind of stuff before you get either into a fellowship place where people are going to have their coffee and whatnot afterwards, or where you're actually going to get your service. Maybe. Am I on am I on yeah. board somewhat? Okay. Maybe. And what's difficult about some of these buildings is that they don't have an obvious entrance. Mm, that seems important. There's like five entrances to the building. Right? And how do you tell which one is the real entrance? So I'll give an example. In my first call congregation. We had three doors that I can think of right now that never opened. 
Never, ever? Ever. Okay. Like, we opened them maybe once a year, but not even necessarily. They were there for emergency exit purposes, essentially. But they were all ways into the sanctuary from the exterior of the building. Oh, interesting. But no one ever used those because there weren't sidewalks that went to them, and there weren't pathways. They were just entry and exit doors into that room. And then there's the main entrance that kind of looks like a main entrance with a tiny little vestibule and then heads you off towards the area where the office is. But then there's the entrance at the end of the Sunday school wing, okay, which is the closest to the parking lot. Oh, well, that's an important one. Right? But that's all the way down. Well, it's also the closest to the nursery. Mm. So if you wanted to park close to where you wanted to drop off the kids, you would come in the very back door, drop the kids off at the nursery, and then walk through the entire building. Hmm. And the opposite wing was where the actual sanctuary was. So different churches have lots of different entrances, and you can tell what kind of ministries someone is involved in oftentimes by which is their main door. Okay. Here at Central, we have two main entrances that most people use, and then another entrance, which is the one I actually always use. Yeah, I see you come in and out that door. I have no idea where it is. (laughs) So we have the main door off of our church parking lot, and that's what we call the main door, and we being members of the congregation, people who are in this building often. It's the one you tend to go in and out of. However, it is not the most obvious door out there. Not at all. There's actually great big brass doors on 21st Avenue. Mm-hmm. Right off of the side of the road, but it's not near a parking lot. No. And they're usually locked because we can't see them mm-hmm. during the day where our office is located. We wouldn't be able to monitor who's coming in and going out of those doors. Which seems really off because architecturally speaking, when you look at the church, that's obviously the inn. Right? Which there should be some place in a church which is obviously the inn. Otherwise, you got a problem with your architecture. Totally. And at the same time, on Sunday mornings, that's the obvious end. Sure. Doors are wide open. The front porch is, is rocking and ready for you to come through. And most of the members still come in the parking they lot They really door. do because <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> we came in the main doors this day because it's like, well, they're there. They're open. Somebody might as well use them. <laughs> but they're not the normal entry point, and they stay locked through the rest of the week. So the main entry point becomes the one off of the parking lot. Sure. Now, the other entrance is in what we think of now as the back of the church, and that's on Hancock Street in the back. And it used to be, when this church was designed, that that was actually the church address. Oh, really? was on Hancock And the main office was right there off of that entrance. So that used to be the main entrance to the church. I can't even picture that in my mind's eye, and I've been here for years. That just seems really strange. And so that back entrance on Hancock, which is where I park, I park right out behind the church in the back. It makes sense. I bet you there's parking there every time. (laughs) Always. And it's shaded. Now I'm giving away my secrets. You really are. (laughs) And that door 
is always locked because we can't monitor that oh, door. No. You would have it's no idea who's coming and going. Way back in the back, there's not very much traffic. It's just we can't keep an eye on it. So your staff uses that door. Your musician and your pastor use that door. And those who are in our building with 350 PDX use that door. Sure. So all this has to say, when it comes to church architecture, pieces to pay attention to are not just whether or not it's ADA compliant and you're walking into a room, what you're going to see is going to depend on what door you find. Okay. And you're going to find lots of different doors into modern churches. In historical churches, there might be fewer doors, Mm -hmm. but there might be just as many. And you can maybe find your way in based on watching someone else walk into the building Mm -hmm. and you can like trail behind them and find your way in. Or you just keep walking around the building until you find a door that's actually unlocked. Let's hope that on a Sunday morning, this is going to be obvious. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. But I will say I have supplied at congregations as a supply pastor. And and it's not obvious. Tried three, four, and five different doors before I finally found one. Oh, that hurts. And there are some congregations where your fellowship hall is so far away and over the river and through the woods from your sanctuary that you need a guide to to take to go you get from your place cookie to place. afterwards. <laughs> totally. That's so sad. Or if you follow someone in to do coffee who's dropping stuff off for coffee hour, you still have no idea where the sanctuary is. Crazy. That is crazy. Okay, so you find your way in. Are there any numbers of rooms or any rooms that have to be in a church? Or, I mean, I, I guess you need some place to actually hold the service. You yep. need at least one. Yep. You need at least a gathering space. Okay. We call that a sanctuary in the Lutheran tradition. It's the, the sanctuary space. Okay. And that space is going to be there. You will typically also have a gathering space of, for fellowship, some kind of less formal area where there's room for receptions, food, coffee, cookies, that sure. kind of stuff. Oftentimes you're going to find an office of some kind. In a very small parish, it could be an office that is the pastor slash secretary. The pastor may not have any additional staff. Okay. But you'll find an office that will have some kind of reproduction machine. For some congregations, it's going to be a photocopier. For some congregations, that'll be a photocopier and a folder that folds things. For some congregations, that's going to be a risograph. A risograph? Which is an upgraded version of a mimeograph. Oh, my goodness. I've been working on risographs for most of my ministry. This is the first congregation I've served that doesn't have a Rizzo. I, I'm stunned. I'm stunned because <laughs> this is taking me back to elementary school with the ditto machine <laughs> and the blue <laughs> ink yeah. that you all had to smell like as soon as it came off and now, it was fresh. A Rizzo didn't have a smell, and it was actually great because it would finish and dry really quickly. But That's nutty. Yeah, and those you have to individually sort and then collate everything and hand staple. And that all makes of bulletins that. really, really hard. It really does. And so there are volunteer brigades for bulletin making. Wow. At other congregations. We are so lucky. And our bulletin here does not necessarily look pretty, but our <laughs> but machine does it all. Nice. <laughs> it cuts at least five hours a week off the workload. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so you got an office, you got a sanctuary. I have been to some that have 
rooms with names that even when you say them to me, it takes forever. And then you see it spelled and it still doesn't make any sense to me. One of these being the Koinonia room. <laughs> Koinonia. Koinonia. Oh, it was so close. So close. That's a fancy Greek word for fellowship. That's it? That's it. Ah, please. But it's an insider term, right? Totally. Koinonia means gathering, like fellowship gathering in Greek. Hmm. And so a koinonia room would be a gathering room for fellowship and learning and discipleship. Okay. Well, let's go through the rest of the fancy terms. You've All already right. hit narthex. Yep. And that's that area kind of like a lobby. It's a pre-room for the sanctuary specifically. Okay. So your building might have a, a separate lobby area and a narthex area. Okay. Right? But it's kind of the gathering area before you enter the sanctuary. Okay. This is where you're going to be greeted by somebody and hopefully handed a bulletin. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay, then the sanctuary is where you actually hold the service. Yep. What else do we have? Well, in the sanctuary, you can divide the sanctuary up into different areas as well. Oh, of course. So you have the chancel area. And the chancel area is the area where the altar or table are located. Okay. And where you'll also find various other pieces of church furniture. It's the area where the church leaders are at. Do you have to have a chancel to be able to have a sanctuary, or you're just lucky to have a chancel? It depends upon when your building was built, right? Oh, sure. That makes sense. We are in a mid-century church here, so we have a chancel. There are steps to get up to our chancel. And that whole front area where the pastor sits and preaches from and the table is and all of those kinds of things. But if you go to, for example, my internship congregation, Creator Lutheran in Clackamas, you'll find that the whole sanctuary room is on one level. Mm -hmm. And instead of having pews that are set and literally bolted to the ground, they're bolted to the ground so that when you stand up and sit down, they're not sliding all over the place. Okay. Right. Like if you want a pew, I will unbolt one of those and you can have it. (laughs) They're not. Don't really have a need for one right now, but that's good to know. They're not. If anyone is listening and wants a pew, I I have five to give away. Please come take my pews. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're they're not bolted down like, you know, in a hotel sure. thing in order to keep it safe. They're bolted down for your safety and security, so they're not sliding all over the place. But we have these pews that are bolted down. More contemporary congregations. Our building was built in 1950, so it's fairly contemporary, mid-century. Sure. But if you're talking about those that were built in kind of the 1980s or 90s and beyond... The contemporary sanctuaries are not having pews put in. Just chairs? They're putting in padded chairs that can attach or detach from one another. Okay. You can have them form pew-like rows. Sure. But they're also malleable. You can Mm -hmm. move them around. Mm -hmm. You can redesign your sanctuary really easily. And so, for example, at Creator, we could shift the chairs around. We could make circles. We could make rows. We could make sections. We could swing everything around and turn the sanctuary another direction if we wanted to. And in the year that I was there on my internship, they built some platforms just to elevate the table up and the baptismal font up by like six inches. Okay. But those platforms can be moved. They're like maybe five foot square platforms that then can be moved to make lots of various different spaces. Okay. 
It's giving you flexibility. Lots and lots of flexibility. And so it might not feel like a modern sanctuary has a chancel per se, but any area that is kind of designated where that table is, is kind of that chancel area. Okay. Where you really see that mattering a lot is when you're talking about Catholic and Orthodox churches. Okay. We're talking Protestant churches here, and we are talking a liturgical Protestant church. But Catholic and Orthodox churches, the chancel's really, really sacred ground. Yeah. And there are areas where unless you are ordained, you don't... There are rules. You don't go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And practices around how to enter that space. In a Catholic church, when you walk in, you might see members kind of kneel and cross themselves Mm -hmm. before they go into the pews. Been there, done that. Right. And when you enter into the chancel as a in a Roman Catholic mm-hmm. parish, oftentimes you will do what's called a genuflect, which mm-hmm. means to bow and then cross yourself before you step up into that chancel area as a sign of respect. Okay. So that's all up at the front of the sanctuary along with, I'm guessing, a pulpit. Right. So there's different ways the pulpit can be. Just a quick definition of what the pulpit yes. is. The pulpit is where the preacher preaches from. Okay. Sometimes there's a separate area called a lectern. Okay. That is where the readings happen. Okay. And then there's a pulpit. So oftentimes if I'm sitting, if it's a more kind of traditional style church. So for example, if you look at the architecture of St. Paul Lutheran here in Portland, which is where my wedding was, as you're sitting in the pews, on the left-hand side is a little table-type thing. Mm-hmm. That's the lectern, and that's where uh, people would read the scripture. Okay. On the right-hand side, there's an elevated kind of three-quarter boxed in with a stand and a microphone attached. Really, really elevated. Did I mention it like kind of floats, like elevated? <laughs> They made it fancy is what you're saying. Fancy thing. And that's the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And that's where your preacher would preach from. Well, you got to be able to see them from the back. All right. So if you look at ancient architecture, if you look at older Christian architecture, those pulpits. They were something. They get some pretty fancy, fancy, schmancy pulpits. They want to make sure they've drawn your eye to the right spot. I guess or something. Or they're, you know, making up for a bad preacher, so you have something to look at. The carvings on some of those pulpits tell the stories Mm -hmm. more effectively than any sermon could. So keep that in mind that these kind of pulpit areas used to be much higher. Now, in modern churches, again, and in Protestant churches, the pulpit is starting to disappear. Oh, completely? Completely. Wow. You might have a stand that you preach from, but more and more it's turning to what I do on a, on most Sunday mornings, which is walk around mm-hmm. and not have a set designated place from where you preach. Interesting. After this many years of not having a pulpit and, and never really having a pulpit, when I supply it a place where there's a definite pulpit, a definite pulpit, and it's like a box. Is it intimidating? One, one go side is it? open and then the other three sides are closed in, and you like take three or four steps to step up into it. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, I feel like I'm in a cage. I, I can see that. It totally feels like a cage. It's so completely different from what I'm accustomed to. Huh. 
So that's what that is. You'll find the pulpit that'll usually be as you are watching from the pews on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. Lectern will be on the left-hand side. You'll also find somewhere within that room the baptismal font. Okay. And does that have any rules? It's got to be facing east or it's got to be in a certain spot. Nope. No specific rules. Okay. Wonderful practice is that it would be towards the back of the sanctuary. Okay. Why is that? Because that's where you enter in. Well, sure. And there used to be, at least for the Catholic Church, rules about you can't go into the church until you've been baptized. Right. And dipping your fingers into holy water mm-hmm. as you enter. And my teaching parish congregation in California, I loved how we did baptisms there. The baptismal font was out in the narthex. So when you way out, way out. So when you walk into that building, big, obvious front doors, Mm -hmm. big glass doors, you walk in and it feels like the lobby. It's a big open area. That's also the fellowship hall. Okay. And directly across from you are the glass doors that can all open up completely into the big sanctuary open floor room. Mm -hmm. The baptismal font was right by those front doors in the narthex. So when we would have a baptism, the congregation would stand up in the sanctuary and everyone would travel out to the fellowship hall. Huh. And then we would stand around that baptismal font and do the baptism and then journey into the sanctuary altogether through those big open walls. Nice. It was beautiful. It was awesome. Most of the time, though, you will find that the baptismal font gets set kind of in the center of a congregation now. Okay. And that's how ours is. It's up front and center so everyone can see it. I like keeping it front and center. People do access that. I reference it during a lot of sermons. Mm -hmm. It's something that ends up just kind of being a a heart pulse of a worship service, even if it's never directly referenced. Having it there and present is really important. All right. What else then tends to be up at the front of the church? Well, There's one more term that's just kind of fun to talk about, but that you're not going to see in a Protestant church, but you will find it in a Catholic church. You'll even find it in Catholic hospital chapels, something called a ciborium. Ooh, okay. And this is a small kind of house looking thing that will be off to one side or set off in the wall or in the back of the chancel area. And that is where the host resides in between services. Oh, it gets its own special little place? It gets its own special little place. So the host, for those who are unfamiliar, is the bread and the wine that is used for communion. Mm -hmm. And it has its own special little house, its own little cupboard, and its own fancy schmancy word. That is crazy. Yeah. So, and it's spelled, Saborium is spelled C-I-B-O-R-I-U-M. All right. Great word. The last one that we have on this list, which I'm not sure we've quite talked about, is the sacristy. Oh, yeah. So the sacristy is not going to be in the sanctuary. Okay. The sacristy is going to be a room off to the side of the sanctuary somewhere. Okay. And that is where the sacred stuff is kept. (laughs) Well, that makes sense, given the name. And so you'll find in there the closet where you're going to find the... And it might be in a sanctuary, right? But it'll be off in a hidden area. Okay. For some congregations, it's like behind the altar area. 
is a whole sacristy area. It's a special closet? Like a closet or a little room or a okay. little nook. It's kind of interesting. It's like how a butler's you pantry for your church. Exactly like a butler's pantry for your church. Okay. And what, what all? Like the I'm lighting the candle kind of thing? Yep. So your candle lighting stuff is there. Your robes might be located there. That's where they get hung up and left. You'll find um, do you the chalices. That's what I was going to ask. Do you mm-hmm. carry the chalice with you or do they get stored back there? They get stored back there. So chalices will be stored back there. Plates will be stored back there. Linens will get stored back there. Candles, tons of candles. There's mm-hmm. always candles in the sacristy. All of that kind of stuff gets stored back there. Sometimes the banners and the pyramids and the other things that get hung up will be stored in that area, depending upon how much space there is. Okay. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't actually talk about one more piece of church architecture, which is the church basement. Well, true. Yes. Now, I come from a Catholic background, but the Lutherans especially, it seems to me, because I've heard about the church basement ladies in the past. It's like, for some reason, Lutheran churches tend to have the basement where you have your big area where everybody gets together and has their potlucks. Am I right about this? You are accurate. And a lot of the church architecture before it started all being on one level. Okay, have these church basements and they were the fellowship hall, the kitchen, all of that kind of stuff is down in the basement. And so for example, at St. Paul, we had our wedding up in the sanctuary Mm -hmm. and our reception down down in in the the church basement. basement. Mm -hmm. Now on a typical Sunday, St. Paul no longer uses that basement. They have their fellowship area in what probably used to be offices or Sunday school rooms. Okay. Because it's all on one level and it's much easier for ADA compliance. For sure, example. sure, sure. Otherwise you have to have an elevator. Right? What we do now here at Central is our fellowship is directly across the hallway from the sanctuary. It's all right in one area. We don't go down to the church basement anymore. Although we have one here. We have one here, but instead our basement is used as a giant playroom. Yes, there's also a choir room down there and a ginormous kitchen. Huge kitchen. Huge kitchen. And storage. Mm -hmm. Right. But church basements also, they're used for gathering spaces where people have have had receptions Mm -hmm. and, and... I've been to funerals and funerals and weddings. Mm -hmm. They're also an area where people have large group meetings in the past. Sure. It's an area where for a lot of people who are not church people, church basements are really sacred because a lot of anonymous meetings have happened in church basements. Oh, interesting. Right? A lot of folks have found sobriety in church basements and that's a really sacred thing as well. So you never know, like when you talk about church basements, It's kind of awesome, the changes and the beauty and the celebrations and all the things that kind of get birthed out of church basements. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Last question. Do you have a favorite term out of all of these or anything we haven't covered? It's such a fascinating question. I don't know if I have a favorite term, but I have like a favorite space or maybe a favorite item. It harks back a little bit to my time growing up in theater. Okay. At the end of the night when everybody else is gone, the stage manager is the last person to leave the theater building. Okay. And the last thing you do after you've turned out all the lights is you turn on one light that you leave center stage and it's uncovered 
and it's just a bare light bulb. Just kind of a spotlight. And it's called the ghost light. Okay. Yes. Right. So you leave the ghost light on overnight and all the other lights go out and it's just that one bare light bulb in the middle of the stage shining just enough light that you won't trip on the set or something like that as you come in the next day. I always loved being in the quiet, empty theater, last person there, turning on the ghost light and being still for a few minutes before anyone would show up. Okay, so what's the church equivalent then? It's the eternity candle. Oh, sure. And it stays lit in the corner of the sanctuary when all the other lights are off in the building. Now in our building, you know, all the lights never go completely off Mm -hmm. because of safety and security. So we have for emergency exit and that kind of hallway lights. But the closest feeling I get to that is in the sanctuary at night, all the lights are off and the eternity candle is burning in the corner. And I love that. And the eternity candle here is a real candle. Oh, it actually burns down and everything. It's a wax candle that burns down and everything. We purchase them and we, and they're maintained by our custodian and he changes them and keeps them burning. Nice. That light, that candle that burns in the space when it's quiet and dark and no one's here. That's probably my favorite piece. And not all sanctuaries have them anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of architecture that doesn't necessarily stick around. It has to be a choice by a congregation to have an eternal flame. And we're lucky enough to have one here at Central. That's lovely. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about church architecture. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I, and thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. If you have any questions or thoughts, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, thank you for listening, and remember... God loves you no matter what.